Love Talk Radio. From the Cyber Station USA studios in Quincy, Massachusetts, it's Music Friday, the end of the week program of Fairness Radio, where you choose the bands we interview and we put them on the air for you to talk to. Just go to our website, musicfriday.nationbuilder.com, and click on your choice and tell us who you want to hear on the show. The top vote getter every week wins, and you get to talk to them. And that's any kind of music is okay. Well, maybe not classical, but Rock, hip-hop, country, pop, jazz, blues, world, they're all good. And we also will be interviewing film directors who make movies about music and musicians. Next month, we will interview Ryan White, director of Good Old Frida, about Frida Kelly, the Beatles secretary. And that's quite a movie. I just saw it. It's going to be wonderful. But... I'm your host, Patrick O'Heffernan. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm broadcasting every Friday at 2 p.m. on the Cyber Station USA Network, the Blog Talk Radio Network, and our radio affiliates. It's August 30th, 2013, and today we are going to be talking with Jonathan Holliff, director of My Father and the Man in Black, the most intimate look at the career of Johnny Cash and his manager you will ever see. Music Friday is brought to you by Solar City, America's number one source of clean energy. And later in the program, I'm going to give you a phone number you can call to learn how to get solarized with no upfront cost and a discount on your energy order. So that's Solar City. And that, of course, is our theme music. That's They Don't Know Me by Valerie Ponzio. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Music Friday. As you know, today is the launch, the debut launch of Music Friday as a solo standalone program. We are no longer the the last show of the week of uh, Fairness Radio, although we still are produced by Fairness Radio Productions in uh, Los Angeles, California, with uh, help from the Cyber Station USA Network in Quincy, Massachusetts. We are a standalone program, and you can find out all about us by going to our website, new website now, that's musicfriday.com nationbuilder.com musicfriday.nationbuilder.com we also have a, a new twitter feed address that's at music friday live at music friday live and of course you can find us on facebook under music friday now you should sign up for our twitter feed because every friday actually probably every thursday night you're going to get a tweet that tells you who's on the show what the topics are, and when you can call in and talk to the bands that we're, we're talking to. So that's at Music Friday Live. You can also sign up on our um, Facebook page, like our Facebook page, and you will get a notice of who the artists are going to be on the show that day. And don't forget, we pick the artist. We interview the artist that you want us to. So what you do is you go to our website, Music Friday dot nationbuilder.com and you tell us who you want there's a form there you just click on you choose your choice the name of the page is your choice there's a form there you fill it in tell us who the band is where we can get them where we can get hold of them and it's all taken care of from there we'll go find them now obviously we're not going to get the rolling stones of beyonce unless several million of you probably tens of millions of you uh request it but we're looking for emerging talent So emerging talent. And also let us know if you know anything about any upcoming films about music and musicians because that's something we are really interested in here. So we're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we have to uh, welcome in our radio stations. And then we're going to be talking about this new film, My Father 
and the man in black. Don't go away. You're listening to Music Friday. And we're back. We're back at Music Friday on the Block Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio stations around the country. And I want to welcome our radio stations around the country. No, we are an AM show, but we do have FM listeners. We have FM listeners up in Oregon, Ashland, Oregon, and which of course is a great college town and is the home of the best Shakespeare festival in the country. That's Ashland and Medford, Oregon, too. So I want to say hi to everybody listening to us on fourteen on uh, rather KSKQ FM in Ashland, Oregon, and also I understand that we got some new listeners down there in Tampa Bay on fourteen ninety WWPR in Tampa Bay, fourteen ninety WWPR in Tampa Bay. Great. Don't forget, you can call in. You can be part of the show no matter where you're listening, whether you're listening to us on radio, you're listening to us on Block Talk, or you're listening to us on Cyber Station USA. You can call in 347-215-7511. That's 347-215-7511. You can also email us. Music Friday Live at gmail.com. Music Friday Live at gmail.com. Oh, and we are now opening the chat room too. So, all of you Blog Talk listeners, feel free. Let us know what you think on the chat room. Well, Johnny Cash is arguably the most well known and well loved iconic country singer in American history. His career included high points such as Folsom Prism and A Boy Named Sue and thousands of concerts. But it also included constant turmoil, litigation, arrests, drugs. And standing behind Johnny, putting him together after each one of those explosions, helping shape his career, saving him from himself over and over again, was Saul Holliff. Johnny's turmoil eventually engulfed Saul, who became an alcoholic and killed himself. He also estranged his son, Jonathan. Jonathan became a music promoter like his father and then a film director who decided to take time out from his own career to find his father amid the wreckage of Johnny Cash and to put it on screen in a remarkable film, My Father and the Man in Black. Jonathan Holliff is with us here today. Jonathan, welcome to Music Friday. Thanks for having me. My Father and the Man in Black is one of the more remarkable films I've seen. And, and not just because of its intimacy with a legendary country singer, but because of its intimacy with you, the director. It starts with a riveting scene of a man, your father, committing suicide with a Johnny Cash arena crowd in the background. His death was presaged in 1969 when Johnny was at his height at Folsom Prism and your father admitted he was at rock bottom. Um, I wanted to play just a little bit of that, and then maybe you can tell us uh, about this. Here we go. Sure. San Quentin and a boy named Sue would make Johnny Cash an international star. But just as Johnny's star was rising... Saul was hitting rock bottom. I drove Barbara to the to the airport, and uh, it was almost a traumatic experience for me to see her off. I desperately didn't want to be alone. Now, I get this for a sheer idiotic condition. Johnny's on the verge of a major breakthrough. He has just recorded at San Quentin, but Folsom Prison Blues is number one. There's going to be a television series in the summer. I'm on the threshold of making a great deal of money, and what's happening to me? I'm falling apart. What's happening to me? I'm falling apart. um, 
How did you bear listening to that tape and then writing and shooting your own father's suicide? It was very tough emotionally, obviously. Um, my father and I had been estranged for 20 years when he uh, committed suicide in 2005. So I had um, an unprecedented opportunity to get to know my father both before and after he became my father, having discovered that he had kept in a storage locker for 30 years all of this material, including 60 hours worth of audio diaries and uh, secretly recorded phone calls with cash. And what you just played there was an audio diary he recorded about what was going on with him two days after Johnny recorded at San Quentin. Uh, when you went into that storage locker and you found those audio tapes, was there a massive amount of tapes that you sat and listened to? There was. Um, it was reel-to-reel, -reel, so the first thing I had to do was find a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. Right. Um, but I was faced with uh, a, a, an immense amount of material. And, uh, well, some people like to think that my father left this behind so that I would find it and we would reconcile. That almost suggests that it was, um, you know, organized and ready to pop in a DVD player. But the fact is it took three years to write and research this story, and I was faced with dozens and dozens of cartons, more than 600 letters, many handwritten between John and Saul and June, and, of course, this 60 hours' worth of audio. Well, you mentioned June, and, of course, your father uh, actually put uh, June Carter and Johnny Cash together. Let's, let's, let's hear a little bit of uh, how that happened. In 60, late 61... We played the Big D in Dallas, Texas. And my manager at that time, Saul Hollis, said, we need a, a girl singer on the show tonight. They they want more than just you and your band. I said, we'll get one. He said, what do you think about June Carter? And I said, I've always been a fan of hers. And I had, you know, I loved her work. I loved, she, she really entertained me. I said, get her if you can. So we booked June Carter on the Big D Dallas, and then that night she did such a great job, my manager asked her if she'd work the next tour with us, so she did. That, um, when you, when you uh, heard that, uh, was that... In 60, late 60... Oops, there we go, we're going to hear it again, no we're not. Was that a high point, or was that neutral for you to listen to that tape? Well, I can say it was the biggest surprise. Um, now, obviously, for those of people who see the movie, they'll understand that the movie is really a, a personal story about fathers and sons, a family memoir wrapped around the Johnny and Saul story. But having uh, been a child growing up with Cash, and uh, uh, I had fleeting memories of those days. So it came as a huge surprise to me that it was my father who hired June and put her with Johnny. And indeed, it contradicts, for example, scenes we see in Walk the Line, which, as terrific a movie as it was, people tend to believe is fact rather than, of course, fiction based on a true story. Uh, this film is a documentary, and uh, Johnny and June never appeared on the same stage on the same date until my father hired June in December of 1961 for the Big D Jamboree in Dallas, Texas. Um, did Walk the Line, when Walk the Line came out, did, did that uh, affect your desire to, to make this film? It didn't, but it's a fair question. A lot of people assume that my film was a reaction to my father not being represented in Walk the Line, and that really couldn't be further from the truth. However, it did sort of get kicked off by a rather bold newspaper story in the London newspaper that said, Saul Holop deserves role in Walk the Line. The fact is, I had been, as you pointed out at the top, working in Hollywood for 15 years and subscribing to the trades. And the moment I read about Walk the Line being packaged with uh, Reese Witherspoon in particular, I knew they were telling the love story. And as a love story, I thought the movie was terrific. I, I, th I thought so, too. But um, um, obviously, it was not factually correct. We're, we're getting a lot of emails in here. but uh, uh, And I want to let everybody know that uh, we are 
We're talking with Jonathan uh, Holliff about his uh, upcoming film, uh, My Father and the Man in Black. And you can email us. You can email us at uh, musicfridaylive at gmail.com. And for those of you who have emailed your questions, we will get your questions. There's a few more things uh, we want to talk to uh, Jonathan about. You can also call in, 347-215-7511. I want to play a particularly uh, poignant um, uh, a piece, and, and this was in 1972. I don't want to be the richest man in the cemetery. I want desperately to start spending more time with my family. I want desperately to start enjoying the things that I've worked so goddamn hard for in 10 years and taken such incredible abuse and such humiliation so often. I want to salvage my soul he robbed it. He robbed me of my soul, and now I think he's trying to save it for me through his fundamentalist Christianity jazz. At best, I have a very low tolerance level to these religious, cranky ideas that, that offend my sensibilities, and any intellectual capacity that I have, I find it very offensive. And here I am, uh, inundated with it, the very thing that I've always objected strenuously to. So I know that the rupture is is on the uh, horizon. So that was your your father talking at uh, 1972 about the rupture between uh, he and Johnny Cash. Do you blame Johnny for your father's alcoholism and eventual suicide? I do not. And in fact, uh, I must point out to your listeners that what you just heard was a personal audio diary that my father never expected would ever be heard by anyone, especially his least favorite son. Uh, Having said that, we talked about Walk the Line earlier. And one of the the raps on Walk the Line was that it failed to address uh, Johnny's um, turn to to fundamentalist Christianity in 1971, which... Uh, along with June Carter, he credits his faith with uh, saving his life and uh, and bringing him, um, you know, to some semblance of happiness. And it was at that time that he uh, was um, had this Jewish manager that he was um, uh, often um, persuading uh, and impressing upon him the the uh, the merits of of, of following. Uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. So I found that to be particularly shocking, and um, I knew there had to be a a major uh, conflict between these two guys, because after all, Saul has survived the 1960s, which you very appropriately described. Uh, And so this must have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, we've got a, an email here, which I think is a very pertinent question, and it's from Gar in Boston, and Gar wants to know, how old was your guest during the Cash years? Well, I was nine months old on my first Johnny Cash tour, and I was ten years old when my father resigned. And uh, when he resigned in, at the time, uh, years after that, for several years, he and Johnny remained close correspondents, and indeed, um Two years after my father resigned, Johnny invited our whole family to stay at his mansion in Jamaica. So I believe we have uh, a situation with two very strong characters, two very stubborn and prideful men who um, left the door open a crack, but neither man decided to walk through it and, and get back together after so many ups and downs over the 60s and 70s. Wow, that that is interesting. Uh, there's a uh, actually, the uh, the fundamentalism I think surfaced in um, 1971. We have a, a phone call here from uh, Johnny Cash to your father about Israel. Can, uh, do, I'm going to play that for a second, if you don't mind. A month later, Johnny Cash was born again at a small church outside Nashville. Then Johnny called Saul. I've got something else on my mind now. I've got it keeping me laying awake at night thinking about uh, going to Israel. I would uh, do a much better uh, job at is talking and and showing about Jesus and his life, you know. I don't know how you go about getting it on the networks, but it seems to me if I had uh, dedication in Israel following the footsteps of Jesus, you know, for Christmas time, 
now that you have told me, uh, I'll break my ass trying to, to bring it about. Well, so I'll make sure they understand. We talk about me being an honest performer. That Johnny Cash is, is not the, the same Johnny Cash that is around now. See, mm -hmm. If I do a television special on Israel, I should do it about the life of Jesus, right? Don't you think so? I, I would say that in your own way, in a subtle manner, you will follow in the footsteps of Jesus without hitting him over the head with it. That's a very interesting conversation, particularly as you point out, your father was Jewish. Um, was and and the and correct me if I'm wrong here. The country Western world was not heavily populated with Jews by any means. And uh, do you know if there was any anti-Semitism ever directed at your father? Um, not by Johnny and June in any kind of overt way, but certainly, yeah. you know, as as a writer, a, a documentarian, we have to look at uh, at all of these people through the lens uh, of time, of the times they lived in. And uh, but you know, in Johnny's defense, on on the one hand, you have to appreciate that Saul's job was to enhance Johnny's career and his bank account, and uh, you know, Johnny had just had his network television show canceled and uh, he was going off in this new direction in which he wanted to uh, uh, to preach the gospel and uh, Saul of course wanted to help Johnny realize his dreams but also as his manager felt that his commercialism would suffer as a consequence but I would have to say that um, um, there anti-Semitism was not uh, a factor. And, and, and in Johnny's defense, we also, again, have to look at the times. The two biggest plays on Broadway were Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. So in the early 1970s, there was a real movement afoot, and Johnny and June were, were leading that movement with the help of Billy and Ruth Graham. Uh, we got an email here from Pinky in uh, Nashville, um, and Pinky wants to know... Um, have you completely reconciled your past and your father, or do you still get lumps in your throat whenever you talk about it? Oh, that's a great question, and I do get lumps in my throat. Um, I um, I felt a tremendous um, uh, catharsis having written the movie, but having to shoot the movie and recreate my father's suicide, and I never expected this to be anything more than a television documentary or straight-to-DVD title, so... Now that I've been to 15 countries talking about the film, I, I seem to be reliving my father's suicide over and over and over again. But suffice it to say that um, I approached the story of Johnny and Saul as a hostile witness. I was certainly no fan of my father. And over the course of the movie, I developed a great deal of empathy for him. Uh, again, I had this, this remarkable experience of getting to know my father before and after he was my father. I was able to relate to him and relate to the challenges he faced in life with family and career, and uh, I couldn't help but develop um, empathy for him and ultimately uh, reconcile with, with a dead man. Well, it's interesting uh, that you say that because as I watched the film, it occurred, it seemed to me that you crafted the film as an outsider. Um, as a recorder of another person's life. In fact, you actually say that early on in the film. You say, life, my father's life. Um, but this is also a film about your life. Or, or, or did you have to take that outsider position in order to get through the project emotionally? Well, again, a very good point. And um, I'm not sure what came first, the, the horse or the cart, but I can say that this is what we call in the film business a first-person documentary. And mm -hmm. they're very hard to make. And, and the fact is, is that it really does ultimately become my story by the end of the movie. But in order to, um, to write and, and, and present such a documentary, one must uh, pursue objectivity at all times and as a consequence I treated it as uh, the Johnny and Saul story, and whatever the audience infers about how my childhood was as a consequence leads it to become more than the sum of its parts, and the reason perhaps why it has such broad appeal, not just with cash fans, but with any 
family who, who's experienced dysfunction, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. So I'm very gratified by, by the way uh, this film is, is perceived as, as a family memoir more than anything else. Oh, we've got a lot of emails about that. I'm going to read you two of them here. Uh, Zebra in Los Angeles wants to know if you were named for Johnny Cash, and I'll let you answer that one. And then uh, uh, we have um, uh, Remorse uh, and Love in Dallas. That's an interesting handle. Remorse and Love in Dallas wants to know why you went into the same business as your father. And then we have um, um, Ari in... um, New York City, and Ari wants to know, uh, what do you actually recall of Johnny Cash? Did you spend much time with him? So those are three questions, and uh, <laughs> as you wish. Thank you. Well, um, my father told me I was named after Cash. Um, whether or not my mother would agree with that, um, uh, she has her doubts. Um, on, on the second note, um, and forgive me, I've forgotten the second question. Um, why did you go into the same business as uh, your father? Well, it'll sound corny, I'm afraid, but um, I re- only realized after my father's suicide when I couldn't get out of bed and, and go to work that I had spent my entire adult life trying to better my father professionally. I realized for the first time that as a teenager, I had this adolescent knee-jerk reaction. I said, you know, if my father won't love me, won't even respect me, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to be bigger than Saul Holliff ever was, and damn it, he'll have to respect me. And, of course, when he died and didn't leave a note, I crashed and closed my business and went home thinking I was escaping my father's shadow leaving Hollywood, only to land back in Canada and two months later have a movie called Walk the Line Open, at which point our telephone started to ring and it wouldn't stop. And once again, I, I forgive me, I don't recall the third question. Uh, it was, uh, do you recall much of uh, Johnny Cash in your life? I do. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I was nine months old on my first Johnny Cash tour, so forgive me if I don't mm-hmm. remember that. But I do mm-hmm. have very fond <laughs> memories of Johnny and June. Um, I considered myself a pretty lucky kid when my mother would come to school and fetch my brother and I out of class on a pretty regular basis to fly somewhere in North America to meet up with my father and Johnny at some concert and invariably uh, meet up with them backstage in the green room. And Johnny was just terrific with kids, and he used to love to spoil us. He knew that my father had outlawed candy in our home, so he would make a point of dumping candy into our hands just to, you know, get my father's back up. And, of course, you know, here's a guy who who was so magnetic. I mean, he was as tall as a tree. He had a voice as deep as the ocean. As a kid who watched cartoons, I was sure that if I took my eyes off of him and turn around, he would don a cape and fly away like Superman. So I had quite a love affair with with Johnny and uh, did spend uh, some time at his home as well in, in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and played with his children. And I have very fond memories growing up with the Cash clan. Uh, Michael in in um, Seattle wants to know if you had the opportunity and Johnny was still alive and singing, would you represent him? Oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, okay. In a heartbeat. But uh, I guess the question the, the the question deserves a question, and that would be, you know, which Johnny Cash? Johnny famously said that uh, uh, Johnny was the nice guy. It was Cash that caused all the trouble. And, uh, you know, he was quite frank in his autobiography. My father, um, people often ask, why did my father record these phone calls? And the assumption, of course, understandably, is some people out there think that my father wanted to cash in and write a tell-all book. And and that's absolutely untrue. My father wasn't that type. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the fact that in the 1960s, Johnny was so addicted to pills that he literally developed a split personality, the way that he described Johnny and Cash. One day, my father would say, how about Miami on the 21st of January? Johnny would say yes, and then the next day, Johnny would say, I never said that. So beginning in the 1960s, my father started a practice of having June witness all of their important conversations. And then when technology afforded him the opportunity, he simply recorded them just to have backup about what Cash said he would do and would not do. 
Um, I've got a, a, a very interesting phone call because I want to let our audience know there are high points in the film, and, and here's one. We were walking through O'Hare Airport one day, wandering around waiting for a plane, and Shell, uh, a service team, came ambling up, and he had a song, and it was crumpled up in a piece of paper, and he handed it to Johnny, who shoved it down to the bottom of his Benny kit. It was a boy named Sue. And weeks later, he recorded it without another take, and that single, that 45, sold six million records. And that, that, that of course, was uh, your father, uh, an audio tape of your father talking about the origin of A Boy Named Sue, which, as he pointed yeah, out, became a, great, a platinum record. It's a, it's a great example of why Cash fans will love this movie, because for the first time in, in, since Johnny died 10 years ago this month, um, this is brand new information about Cash, never before published. Um, that was October 1968 in Chicago O'Hare. And you can read all the books you want about Cash, but even the latest one fails to nail down exactly how Johnny came to get the lyrics to A, a Boy Named Sue. And so this movie is chock-a-block full of the true stories behind what we see in Walk the Line and so much information, including clashes with the Ku Klux Klan and other things that will just blow Cash fans' minds. Well, it is a fabulous movie, uh, and I can't recommend it enough. It's it's uh, going to be released next Friday, next Friday in Los Angeles and New York, and I assume you have some butterflies about that, but I don't think you should. I think it's going to be a great success. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today. This is a, a remarkable film, a remarkable interview, too, and I re really appreciate you putting yourself out here like this. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got a uh, great emerging new talent. Blake Collins is going to join us. Uh, this is uh, what we do here. We, we talk about new people come, who are coming up in the ranks, and boy, this boy is. Don't go away. You're listening to Music Friday. Cyberstation USA is the future of radio. Get your business into the online future at the world's largest internet radio station. From banner placement on our homepage to any of our broadcaster stations, commercials on our video player, audio spots on any of our shows, or at the beginning of any of our on-demand broadcasts. Cyberstation USA offers competitive rates with a worldwide reach, a fully integrated one-stop shop social media broadcast platform. For more information, please contact our sales department at cameo at cyberstationusa.com. You're into the paranormal. Then you're into Don Ecker and Dark Matter. Something I have been immersed in for 20 years. Lunar research on items known as lunar transient phenomena. For over 400 years, world-class astronomers have been observing strange sights, lights, flashes, and other things on the moon. Provocative topics, listeners' calls, and interesting guests. My guest, Mr. Alan Stern. On my website, I have a list. And we are back. You're listening to Fairness Radio, and uh, I want to make sure everybody knows that uh, Don Eckert is on the Cyber Station USA Network, and he does a fabulous job there, too. But you're listening to Music Friday right now with Patrick O'Heffernan. We just had a wonderful interview with uh, uh, Jonathan Holoff, who's the director of the new film that's being released next Friday, uh, My Father and the Man in Black. Uh, but I want to remind everybody, I told you at the beginning of the show that I was going to give you a phone number that you could write down to find out how to get solar energy for your house with no advance cost. Well, that's through Solar City. You've probably seen the green trucks driving around the neighborhoods putting solar energy in your, in your neighbors' homes and in, in, in local businesses. And here's how you do it. You call 909-618-6937. That's 909 Six one eight sixty nine thirty seven, and that that phone number is going to take you to a woman named Tina who works at Solar City. You tell her that I sent you. That's right. You tell her that Music Friday Patrick O'Heffernan sent you, and she will give you a discount, two hundred and fifty dollar discount off of your order. Now remember that Solar City will install, maintain, and ensure solar system on your home for no money down on approved credit, no upfront cost. All you do is pay for your, the energy you use, and you use a lot less of it because the sun is making it, and that's it. You just sit back and enjoy the savings. So that's 909 
and tell them that I sent you and you'll get a nice discount. Well, as you know, the listeners request our artists for interviews. And a couple of weeks ago, we got a request for a young man who sounded very intriguing. So I listened to his music and I decided, yep, this is a talent I want to talk to and that I know that you'll want to know about. Blake Collins has just released his first EP, and if it's any indi- any indication, he's going to be a success pretty quickly. And he's here with us today. Blake, welcome to Music Friday. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me. I want to remind our audience that they can talk to Blake, 347-215-7511, or you can email us at musicfridaylive.com at gmail.com. Blake, I, I know you've released singles here and there on iTunes. Um, what told you that this was the time to pull them together and to create a, an EP? Um, I think that it was the right time to put together something cohesive um, rather than just individual songs here and there. Um, I like the idea of releasing a, a group of songs together and uh, as a music listener myself, I like getting a band's EP or uh, album because it gives me a, uh, I can have a closer relationship with the work. Did, did, did you sit down and, and think through what the theme is going to be, how these songs, and we're going to play some of those songs, how these songs all link together, or was it just um, a gut feeling? Uh, I think this was more of a gut feeling. All of these songs have something unique in and of themselves. Um, and before I conceptualized this EP and put them together, I didn't really see much of a connection, but in putting them together and then working on them um, one after the other, they started to gel with each other and kind of form their own relationships with each other. Well, let's listen to one of those songs. We're going to listen to uh, Me and My Only. All right. You know, when I heard that, I, 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 I was thinking that Sergeant Pepper is going to appear someplace in the background. <laughs> Featuring Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you've, um, uh, I don't know, did the Beatles, um, are one of your influences? I've listened to a lot of their music, and through them found other uh, bands that deal with the same musical principles. I think music follows principles rather than trends. Well, for Good those music. of us, for those of us who who aren't musicians, what kind of music principles are behind that? Uh, you know, melody, harmony. Um, there's a certain uh, like subconscious reaction that I think a listener gets from a certain combination of chords, dynamics. Uh, you know, when someone says, "I don't know why, I just like this song," um, can't really put their finger on why. They just know that something's good. Um, well, that's the music that, that I I like to listen to. Well, well, that's good. And of course, that was the first song off off your album. Incidentally, the the, uh, the EP is called "A Bell Locks In," and you can find it and everything else you want to know about Blake Collins at blakecollinsmusic.com. dot com. That's Blake 
rickcollinsmusic.com. You can also get a copy of the EP at iTunes, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. But um, when I listen to that, uh, like I said, I mean, I that brought me back to the Sgt. Pepper era. And uh, now that you've said that there are certain principles involved, I can I can understand what you were doing there. And you did it very well. That, 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 that's, a, that's a happy combination of things there. Did you have to work on that a lot, or did that just flow right out of you? The writing? Yeah. That, that one flowed right out. In fact, that's one of the things that unites these songs, is that they all sort of just happened. They were sort of like channeled and born, rather than worked on and reworked and reorganized. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that that's a really fun thing to happen with songwriting. Well, maybe that's why they're, they're so joyful. Let me play another one. This is actually my favorite one. This is Mystery Girl. kind of a nice environment there. You sort of create a, a world that you suck uh, the, the listener into. It's kind of all-encompassing. It's a really, it's a really happy world. Um, did And again, would that just flowed out of you? you? You didn't sit in the studio and lay this track and that track and say, this is what I want and that's what I want? Um, I mean, I, I think I'm play, I played around with instrumentation to see what I think sounded the most natural and what the song itself wanted, because the songs always will tell me what exactly they want. Um, sometimes it doesn't need to be performed on piano. Maybe it's really a, a guitar song, but I wrote it on piano. This one I ended, I wrote on piano and I kept it on piano. Um, but with Mystery Girl, this one I actually, this melody fell into my head, and I kind of pictured Frank Sinatra singing it, like with a big band. Um, but I didn't have that at my disposal, so I just did what I knew I could do with the song. Well, well you did, uh, I think, very, very well. It's one of those things I just really like to listen to. It's a, it's an earworm. And uh, I'm just very impressed at not only the music, but it's the fact that this flows out of you and that you don't have to sit and labor over it. Um, uh, do you mind if I ask you who the who the mystery girl is? Uh, who is that mystery girl? <laughs> That's a really good question. I am... Well, maybe we just better let that, that, that lie, okay? <laughs> well, maybe some mysteries are best unsolved. Yeah, there they are. Uh, you have a new music video out. And I do. it's... You, it's produced by Rachel Fleischman, who actually was on this show a few weeks uh, earlier, uh, a few weeks ago, talking about her film, Without a Home. And uh, I didn't realize, that she, in addition to doing documentaries, she did music videos. Uh, That's right. It, well, Rachel Fleischer it, is a very talented uh, director. She absolutely is. And um, was, this, was that your first music video? That was my first music video, yeah. So I guess it was you were, really fun it was, to make. It, and it's it, uh, it's a good thing you had a good director then, right? If it was your first one. Oh, um, yeah. I was in great hands. Um, let's play a little bit of the music from that. It's uh, called It's Summertime. Mind the foolish 
Is that you whistling? That is me whistling. <laughs> Congratulations. That's not an easy thing to pull off. <laughs> well, no, and th- that, that, was I'll... one, that was one take, too. Wait a minute. The whole thing was done in one take? The singing and uh, guitar was done in one take. And that is absolutely um, uh, amazing that uh, you could pull that off. I mean, whistling is not easy. A lot of, a lot of very talented people just can't do it. And, uh, well, that was actually my first form of musical expression, whistling. Were you whistling as a child? In your... I was, uh, according to my parents, I was whistling as a baby. And wow. I kind of remember that, but yeah, I've always been whistling. Anyone that knows me will tell you that I often whistle even without my being aware of it. <laughs> well, well, you certainly pulled it off well, well there. Now, obviously, that's a song about um, a summer love. Uh, did, was it? Is it really about uh, a summer love, or just, just well, that's just a topic? But it wasn't your summer love. Uh, no, it wasn't about a summer love. That one is actually. A, I'm glad we played that song, but that one is not. It's summertime. That's the fourth track on the EP called "Anticipating Loving You Again." Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, and you're right. That's fine. That's fine. And we got to listen to it we, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll play it summer. Was, um, yeah. Uh, wow, uh, my apologies there. I guess we'll be downloaded and, and, and put it up. Let's take a listen here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's so nice. <laughs> and again, it, it still feels like the Beatles. You've got that, uh, that, that subtle, complex interweaving of different instruments and uh, that wide-open sound that, that the Beatles brought us. Very creative. Um, um, and, and again, did you intend that, or did it just flow right out? Um, you know, I think that growing up listening to older music, I, I've i just come to, to... That's how I hear music, uh, it, with this kind of structure and this kind of texture. So when I set about at a very early age, writing music, I kind of did what I what I knew, what I'd been exposed to. Um, now, as far as this song goes, um, I wanted it really to feel live and spontaneous. And I think that, you know, today it's it's hard for singers, songwriters, and artists to get exposure, and the best way to do that is to make references to what a listener can expect by making a comparison. Um, But with bands that have such huge careers and have done so much with their music, like the Beatles, you know, they've done so many different styles of music. So I think that it's, um, this one, I think it's more about an energy that comes through. And I like that about music that I listen to as well. It's more about the energy that's being transmitted through the certain styles that are uh, being played. It's an up energy, at least to me. It's a, it's a very up oh, yeah. energy, but it's also a very creative energy. It's not it's not a simple focus. There's a lot of things going on there, and you blend them together into that up energy. And that's, that's what attracted me to you. Um, we're getting some email of, um, for you here, and uh, we've got um, La-di-da in La La Land who is in Los Angeles, surprisingly enough. And Lottie Da wants to know, where can we see him live? And unfortunately, you're not uh, gigging right now, are you? No, I'm focusing on some more recordings. I've got a full-length album in the works as we speak. Uh, But I hope to do some performing um, at the beginning beginning mid-September. Well, when you do perform, when you performed in the past, uh, have you brought a band along? Do you have a band, or do you put people together for specific performances? Um, yeah, I've put people together for specific performances. It's uh, For some reason, my story is that I have found it difficult to have a, a, a band unit to, to uh, play music with, so that's why I work independently, and this EP was recorded and produced independently of everything that you hear. I'm playing. There's nobody else on there. Except for so, me. so you 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 record lots of different tracks and then, and then um, mix them together yourself. Yes, I'll play wow. like basic tracks and sing and get a take, and then from there flesh out the song. But as far as uh, performing goes, I've got a lot of great friends that support me and who will uh, be joining me when we play live. Well, uh, along those lines, a solid man in Austin wants to know what 
instruments do you play and what instruments do you have other people play? As far as live performing goes? Uh, um, he, I, he doesn't say, so pick, take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you the two-part answer. It's um, I play everything in the studio, and I play everything on record. So that's hand claps, tambourine, drums, piano, bass, guitar. Um, but as far as live performing goes, um, it's difficult to do everything at once. So I stick with rhythm guitar or piano. Okay. Depending on the um, Jonathan in um, Pittsburgh, and he doesn't say whether it's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or Pittsburgh, California, wants to know, uh, he asks, he says, tell us about the album he is working on. Will it have the same Beatles feel? Frequently, second albums or second releases are much different. Uh, that's a great question. It will be different than the EP um, in the way that it, it's actually going to be. I've got a lot more um, straight-ahead rock and roll songs that are even faster, a little more upbeat. Um, they're more along the lines of Emmett Rhodes' work or Dr. Dog or The Shins, mm-hmm. but it's uh, still coming from me, so there will be... There will be similarities, but I think it'll be more uh, guitar-driven than the EP. The EP's got a few piano pieces and one ukulele piece. Uh, is given the uh, the success of of the style you have now, why why do you want to go to more guitar-driven music? Um. I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I I really like the songs that I'm working on, and I want to give them birth, you know. And it's a collection of songs that I think make sense together, and they support each other. Um, they have similar elements, but they're different enough that they make sense together. And it's a longer play. It's an LP yeah. rather than an EP. Mm-hmm. Have you recorded any of those songs yet? I'm in the recording phase now. You're in the recording phase now, so so they're written, but uh, and they're now written. you've got them. Yeah, uh, permafrost in Tampa. That's an interesting combination. Nice. Permafrost in Tampa <laughs> uh, says, "I like his layers and his voice and his guitar. His his guitar and his voice seem to go very well together. It's like they're almost harmonizing. I think he should uh, play the high end of the guitar more because it really accentuates his voice. What do you think? Is permafrost right?" Permafrost has a great point. There's going to be a lot more of that high-end guitar stuff on this uh, full-length record that I hope to release um, early next year. Do you uh, do you have a release date yet? I haven't um, confirmed a release date, but I'm shooting for spring. Okay, is uh, is it going to be accompanied by another one of uh, Rachel's uh, wonderful music videos? <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> that part hasn't been nailed down yet. Huh? <laughs> right. We haven't nailed it down quite yet, but I sure hope okay. so. Um, I, I want to go back and uh, to, uh, to to Mystery Girl uh, a little bit and ask you about that. Uh, um, here we go. Now the way you handle your voice in in, in there, it, it's almost distant. Uh, did you modulate? Did you play with it uh, in the studio a little bit to, to get that uh, that sound? No, other than some light compression, mm-hmm. there's no um, manipulation going on. In fact, this is one of the another track on the EP that it's a live take as far uh-huh. as the basic track goes. So I played piano and sang it at the same time and captured this um, candid, spontaneous take, which I think lends a lot to the energy of the EP. So what you're hearing, I think, is a little bit of the vocal coming through in the piano as well as the actual microphone used for the vocal. Interesting, and that's a layer of subtlety me as a non-musician was was not aware of, um, but it does a... uh, But you felt it. Yeah, I definitely felt it. it. It's perfect. Uh, that song would would still be a good song, but it wouldn't have the impact without that particular 
quality to your voice. It uh, it it definitely makes it uh, even larger. Now um, let's let's listen to a little bit of Zoe. Okay. Again, you've, you've matched the tonal quality of your voice to the instrument, the piano there, exquisitely. Is, was that a live performance? Zoe is another live performance. Um, this one's were live. You, was that purposeful? Were you aware you were doing it while you were doing it? Do, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I made the stylistic decision to capture a live take. Is there something about live takes that are really special. They they really show all the fingerprints. And again, I'm going back to I'm making reference to mm-hmm. to bands that I listened to when I was younger that I still listen to, like the Kinks or the Beach Boys. And you know they would get the best take, but it's live. And you might hear that there's you know little bits and bobs here that for some reason don't make sense, but they make it, but they do make sense. And maybe they're errors or whatever, but they add a certain character and personality to the finished track. And I wanted to get a candid feel for this one as well. Well, candid is a very good word for it. Uh, The the word that... uh, that popped into my mind was precise that uh the the way you were playing the piano there and the way you were handling your voice just blended together like they were they were raised together almost it was it's it's quite amazing <laughs> unfortunately it's also quite amazing that we're out of time that um, is amazing <laughs> so uh first of all where can people get your music why don't we remind them again of that well the ep is available on itunes um, and it's available on Bandcamp, and it's streaming on SoundCloud and Spotify and other digital platforms like oh, okay. Amazon MP3 and MySpace and all of these no. places that you can find music. It will be available. Well, I think everybody listening to you should go out and find it. Uh, the name of the EP is Bell Locks in a bell locks in and it is i think going to be one of the uh, breakout eps of the of the year and i'm i congratulate you on a marvelous piece of work and i'm looking forward let us know when the uh the uh album comes out because we'd like to have you back thanks very much patrick i will Oh, thank you very much. Blake Collins, keep your eye on this young man. He's going places. You've been listening to Music Radio with Patrick O'Heffernan from Cyber Station USA, Blog Talk Radio, and our radio affiliates. Like our Facebook page, follow our Twitter feeds, and get real-time updates on our guests. Don't forget our new website is musicradio.nationbuilder.com, and our Twitter feed is at Music Friday Live. Our producer is Lars Christensen. Our program director is Jason Bartlebin. Of course, I'm Patrick O'Heffernan, your host. Program is produced by Fairness Radio Productions at the Cyber Station USA studios in Quincy, Massachusetts, and in the Fairness Radio studios in Los Angeles, California. You can download this and other Fairness Radio programs at cyberstationusa.com or at blogtalkradio.com. Next week, tune in next week, we're going to have the Latina singing sensation Irene Diaz and a special mystery guest, and I mean a special guest. So make sure that you set your dial, set your clock, set your timer, set your Google Calendar, set all of those things that go beep and tell you when to turn on our show for next Friday, same time, same places. And right now, stay tuned for Mike Siegel on Cyber Station USA and check out musicfriday.nationbuilder.com and tell us who you want on the show. And we're going to go out with a little bit more of Blake Collins.
Have a you are. It's summertime and the weather. Oh, hello. Hi. Second. Sorry, uh, we just went off the air. That was the uh, the network pushing us off the air and bringing in Mike Siegel. Um, you're going to get a um, uh, a thank you letter from the uh, the network saying uh, with a URL in it where you can go to listen to the uh, and to download the the interview. You can use it wherever you want to. Still there? <laughs> 